the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We have a durable problem that's been getting uh, more and more difficult by bad public policy, and that's the drug overdose or the drug poisoning crisis, as we like to call it, and we'll explain why in a moment. Uh, These three colleagues, along with the two others who couldn't join us, and I uh, started an organization, a nonprofit, that we think we can do something about about this problem, this enduring problem. We think we can turn the tide around. Uh, The StopStartsHere.org is the website for our organization. We encourage all of you to uh, take a look at it and help out if you are inclined. I uh, will introduce uh, my three in-studio guests, all of whom have been on this show many times before. Steve Moak, Jr., Jeff Taylor, and of course, Hugh Hallman, who is usually here on Tuesdays anyway. So it's nice to be joined by uh, Jeff and Steve. We have another friend who helped with uh, the start of this project. He's uh, one of the major victims' rights advocates in our country, blessedly here in Arizona. And of course, our other friend, Ashley. And uh, they regret they couldn't be here, but uh, we couldn't do it without them either. And I just wanted to give them the appropriate uh, props. We'll also be happy to take any calls at 602-508-0960. To kick this off, just let me lay two pieces of groundwork, if I might. In 1979, we had what was known as the worst year of drug use in this country. And uh, that was when we had about 14 0.1% of the population regularly using illegal and dangerous drugs. And everyone in this field knew that 1979 was the worst year. People say you can't do anything about it, you have to live with it, that every project or every program that tries to curb drug use or drug abuse is a failure. It's not true. This country rolled up its sleeves and got into serious prevention work through all kinds of social messaging, through all kinds of media messaging, athletic uh, associations, Hollywood, politicians. They all got in the game. And son of a gun, in 13 years, we reduced the problem by over 60%. For anyone who says you can't do anything about this, not only can you, we did. And then we let up. And a lot of things changed, and a lot of those programs stopped, and a lot of the uh, intellectual attitude about it changed as well. So slowly and surely, the problem got worse and worse and worse. Last year, we beat 1979. We now have greater regular illegal and dangerous drug use now than we did at the high watermark of 1979. Last thing I'll say, just to give you a sense of the scale, the enormity of it. In 1992, when we got to our low mark when we got it down by over 60 percent. We were losing about 5,000 Americans a year to overdose deaths or drug poisoning deaths. 5,000 Americans a year in a country of about 240 million people. We're now a country of just over 330 million people and last year we lost 110,000 Americans. Here's what that means. That means as the country grew by 33 percent, drug poisoning deaths grew by over 2,000 percent. Someone needs to do something about it. We think we can because we're going to replicate what we used to do when we could and did do something about it. So I want to thank you three for being here and joining this project with us. And uh, I'll I'll start with you, Steve Moak, Jr. You might have been the second person I called on this, but we won't worry about order. <laughs> A little bit about you and why you're involved and interested, and then we'll take it over to Jeff and Hugh and begin the conversation in earnest. Seth, as always, thank you so much for having me on the show. And and honestly, let's make sure we give you credit for reaching out to this team and helping kick this entire project off. And I am so excited about what we're doing. Here's something I still can't get used to hearing or let alone saying over the airwaves of Phoenix, Arizona. My name is Steve Moke. I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, right? You know, in middle school, when you'd come in and you'd have career day and what do you want to be and things like that, I don't remember anybody in my middle school class saying that they wanted to be sitting here announcing that over the airwaves and they wanted to be working in the behavioral health field. 
but I can't tell you a more important job to be doing right now, given where we're at as a country, where this crisis is. This is personal to me. There is a fire that kind of burns because we can keep building more beds. We can keep building more treatment centers. We can keep building more outpatient programs. But until we start addressing youth kids earlier, we're just going to keep filling those up with sick people. And that's why I am so, so excited about this prevention effort and what we're doing and how we're doing it and using social media to target youth and parents. Thank you. Jeff, you want to say a word or two about your involvement here? The audience knows your story well, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to just reprise the highlights and lowlights. I was just sitting here pondering. Thank you, Mr. Liebson, for having us here today. It's always a pleasure uh, when Steve was talking about the, you know, that they did not aspire young people to end up as, as unfortunately Steve did and as I did. So I was just going to ask Steve, you didn't go to the repeat drug offender booth in high school? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> it was in every uh, bathroom. In fact. <laughs> uh, and, and then I just want to take a step further what you said, Seth, about uh, then we let up. And I would even take it a step further on prevention in the 90s after such such success is that we gave up. Mm-hmm. We really gave up. And then it became a kind of a monetized engine of recovery, yeah. you know, of recovery programs, some of which I deal with families. So I, I deal with a lot of families that are suffering with addiction. I work in public policy down at the legislature. I am blessed to be uh, involved in a lot of positive change. Uh, in our criminal justice system when it comes to behavioral health. And I'm impassioned by this because I was removed from the criminal justice pathway, which was very key to my recovery. That needed to be a part of my recovery as I needed a consequence. And that's what we're not seeing in places like San Francisco, Oakland. I've been to both. Oakland is worse. I've been to Oregon. I've been to Honolulu. And these communities and, and, and states really have really given up on the consequence part. Addicts understand consequences. And that's why I'm here today in, on this radio show and the work that I do is that I suffered a consequence. And then I was offered you know, a pathway to help. And what I do with that pathway is up to me. We can offer a consequence and help. And if people don't grasp onto that, then they are a danger to our society. I think it's a great point that consequences matter. And I think it's another thing that children understand powerful messaging. As addicts understand consequences, children need a powerful message. And it works with prevention in almost every field that we try it in. We've done it with cigarette smoking. We've done it, my gosh, how many ads do we hear on this show about forest fires? We've reduced forest fires tremendously with the prevention efforts there. Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a model. Uh, Iron Eyes Cody, the Indian crying. People forget that we used to just throw trash out the cars when we were driving by. So what we have decided to do is put together a program where we're going to be targeting on social media children with very strong very strong messaging. Mr. Hallman, tell us about yourself and your interest in this. Well, I I got brought to the party, of course, because of you, Seth, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. But as you know, I have a passion for this same subject because I've had a brother who was a crystal meth addict. I've had a niece who became addicted to drugs and ultimately committed suicide as a result of being sex trafficked. Uh, I've had students who have uh, committed suicide uh, intentionally or accidentally through drug poisoning. All of that informs the reason I'm sitting here, because we've watched our society go from, as you like to talk about it, the dialectic model here, where we first uh, started to tolerate uh, having drug addiction throughout our country. Then we've started to say that what's going on wasn't happening, but now it's happening, but it's okay. And worse, we're now mandating it. Why do I say mandating it? Because we have officials in major cities in this country handing out what they call harm reduction materials, which are drug paraphernalia so that addicts can get high at the hands of these officials. That's truly mandating this state of affairs. And that's the policy issue we need to uncover. All all of us here, every one of us in this room, have tragic stories associated with direct and personal uh, uh, consequences of drug addiction from uh, ourselves or members of our family. And we are here to spread that word that if you're listening, ladies and gentlemen, you're not alone. 
Every single family is being touched by this, deeply touched by this. And yet most of us operate in these little silos, ashamed of what's happening. That's why to have somebody like Steve Moak Jr. sit here and say, I am a recovering drug addict is crucially important to be heard. Because this young man has done amazing things with his life, and yet he's willing to tell people, this is where I was. And if you're there, there is a way to get out. If your family member is there, there is a way to go out, get out. But it is not by coddling. It is not by enabling. It is not by rewarding this behavior. It is by applying the right consequences to help people move toward the light. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Steve. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll come right back and we'll talk about how we can prevent them from even ever having to have Steve's or Jeff's story or the stories of those in Hugh's family or for that matter, mine. And sadly, too many, I'm suspecting of you in the audience. I wanted to say a word about what you were focusing on, Hugh, when you were talking about government agencies that are giving away drug paraphernalia under the notion of either safe use or harm reduction. You know, um, a lot of people still don't, you would think, and this would surprise many, but it's true, still don't know what fentanyl is. Those of us who work in these fields know what it is because we hear about it all the time. But the Arizona Youth Survey, for example, showed that 40% of our teenagers have never heard of fentanyl. Our aim is to instruct on that as well. But when it comes to this deadly drug, fentanyl, which is killing over 80,000 Americans a year, most of them under the age of 50, it's the number one killer of young adults, by the way, not COVID, it's drugs. Um, When it comes to fentanyl, Think about what that paraphernalia giveaway means when we're giving away the pipes and uh, other, other, other appurtenances for drug use. It means we're giving away the most expensive part of it when a fentanyl pill costs only a dollar. We're giving away, we are making it easier and easier to use drugs under the name of public health. And instead of saying, how about we help you if you are addicted or how about you don't start? We're now seeing signs in major cities sponsored by organizations or departments calling themselves departments of public health that have big banner ads and big ad campaigns saying if you're going to use, start slowly and do it with friends. I can't think of anything more maddening than that. I can't think of anything more insane than that. I can't think of anything more wanting to have an organization turn in their name as a Department of Public Health than that. Is that what Mothers Against Drunk Driving said? Did they say, if you're going to drink and drive, make it just a beer or maybe have a cheeseburger after you or before you drink and drive? Is that what we did with cigarettes? Did we think that it was a good idea to uh, tell people if you're going to smoke, don't smoke a pack a day, just smoke half a pack a day? No. That's where the good news comes and what is part of the magic of our organization and the messaging we're going to do, because there's a wonderful piece of research I want people to know. If you can get your child to the age of 21 without initiating dangerous and illegal drug or substance use, get them to the age of 21, the chances they'll ever start are practically zero. It's our aim when we say to get to your child before the drug dealer does, that's our aim, to educate youth and adults. Jeff, you want to say something about any of this? Because you have toiled in these worlds where in communities you do have to deal with departments of public health that are advertising this lie of safe use. And just, again, to add to what you said, Seth, the the message, you know, is to use safely, use with friends. But look at the visual that they put up there, a bunch of smiling people like they're all all partying. And it reminds me of seeing some of the videos, which there are many, which needs to be, you know, put on a much broader media base of the uh, trank epidemic in in the West Coast or on the East Coast, which is now showing up, I understand, on the West Coast. Yeah. That is a horse tranquilizer that actually extends the high from fentanyl. And, it, of course, it's very cheap, very powerful. And it and it paralyzes people, paralyzes them standing up, mm-hmm. bent over, slumped over. And I look at these videos today or of, you know, uh, any place in California, you know, in a homeless district or a chronically homeless district, is that I look at them and I think they were in grade school at one time. Mm-hmm. They were in high school at one time. Mm-hmm. Where was the messaging? Because a lot of the people there, you know, maybe were in grade school or in high school when we gave up on prevention. Mm-hmm. And it just breaks my heart because... We talk a lot about death, 
and we should talk a lot about death. But I deal with families every day, literally hundreds of calls over the last probably four or five years of their marvelously talented children where they're, they have been robbed of their dreams and dashed of their passions. And it is, it is such an attack on our youth to rob them of their dreams. You know, the youth are very passionate about a lot of things. And, and sometimes a little misguided when they get into the 13 to the 16-year-old. But I love the passion and the exuberance of youth that is being robbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Steve, anything you want to add to any of this notion of safe use? You have a podcast called The Unlicensed Counselor because you're going up against some of this industry, right? Well, I had an amazing guest on last week as well, too. Uh, My first guest, Mr. Seth Leeson. So thanks again for that. You know, just to piggyback on Jeff's point, you know, I I came across, you know, some type of concept or campaign that was talking about kids being, you know, forever 16, right? And it was a girl referenced a girl at a party who smoked a joint that was laced with fentanyl, right? Something that and it seems innocuous when parents would hear that, but now she's forever 16. And that's really resonated and stuck out in my head. And I have a three-year-old daughter. She's sitting out in the lobby, and like I just couldn't even imagine what that could possibly feel like. So that's why the message of prevention, I, wanted, I want us to get to more of that girl's classmates. And I want to get there sooner. I want to get there bolder. And prevention works. I mean, Seth, I, can, I brought some statistics yeah, just on sure. what we've started. I don't know if you want me to dive into it. I won't go through every single one of them, but we are just sticking our toe into the prevention waters. And let me tell you, we have struck a nerve. There is an appetite for prevention that is out there. In the three weeks that we've kind of done this, this rolling launch, just on Facebook alone, we've reached over 250,000 people with some of our concepts. If you go to the stopstartshere.org, look at our content. Go to the gallery. I mean, this is compelling stuff, not just don't say no and boring old messages, right? We're meeting kids where they're at with edgy, bold, raw content that is really resonating. On Instagram alone, we're over 97,000 people reached in the last two weeks. We are seeing tens. I have, let's see, our video count is being at 10, 13, 19,000. 10,000. These are the types of numbers. And again, we're just rolling this out. I mean, we haven't even put our message out to the world. People are consuming the content that we're putting out there and the feedback that we're getting on social media and the followers that we're getting is really important. And and I'll tell you why is there's an old kind of model of prevention. It's an organization that goes out and does an assembly one type a year or one time a year. And they have somebody come in and talk about the dangers of drugs. That's all fine and good. I think that we need to adjust that model. And that's why I think if I can get 15 to 30 seconds of your son or daughter's time once, twice a week for the rest of the year and years to follow with prevention messaging, that's how we're going to really, you know, put our message out to the world and saturate it that prevention works, it is effective, and there is no such thing as safe drug use. That's the right word, saturate. We want to saturate social media with these messages because you're right. Uh, an assembly is a good thing, anything is a good thing. Well, We'll, we'll refuse and turn down no auxiliaries in the help to save our children's minds, brains, souls, and lives. But uh, if I were to uh, analogize, it's like teaching someone to speak French or Italian or German or any foreign language. You can't do it with one class one time a year. You can't do it with three classes three times a year. You have to saturate, and we're in the saturation business. Mr. Hallman, when we come back, I want to talk about how it's not just fentanyl, though that seems to be 
the drug of the moment that people do talk about it when they do talk about it, because we're talking about a whole range of issues here and a holistic view of dangerous and illegal drug use that can affect a child's and a family's lives. Um, Hugh Hallman, uh, you have been involved in a lot of different fields, including education. Um, and for those that do pay attention to the drug poisoning crisis in this country, they hear almost exclusively about fentanyl. Our view is that obviously that is the biggest problem right now. But it seems like every five years, it's either a whack-a-mole game or it's, if you imagine a balloon you push down on one side, it expands on another. Do you want to address how it's not just the fentanyl crisis, though it is also the fentanyl crisis? Yes, and I'm going to divert for just a second because I want to touch on Steve's point. We are trying to reach out through this organizational effort to message to children and their parents and grandparents Mm -hmm about the dangers of any use of these illegal and destructive drugs. Why? Because our society has for many, many years now been reinforcing the absolute wrong message. Did uh, anybody watch, I don't know, uh, a show about a teacher who became a producer of crystal meth, right? Uh, Breaking Bad. Great show. Problem is, it lionizes people who are in the manufacture of crystal methamphetamine. We're cheering for the drug dealer. We're cheering for the drug dealer. That's a very subtle example. Now, I like the show, but I also had to live with the reality that my brother was a crystal meth addict for 15 years and very destructive for my family. We have got to go out and change the messaging, and it doesn't make us a bunch of prudes. It make us, makes us those people who understand the destruction that is happening to our children and our society from this failure to hold the standards. Back to your monologue in the first hour, that this society has standards that are worth upholding. It doesn't make us a bunch of prudes. It doesn't make us a bunch of goofballs. It makes us people who understand the consequences. And here's the, the last piece before I get to your point that we have this notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that that is providing a tolerance for all kinds of activities that otherwise are not accepted generally in the society. And it is being used as a message of tolerance. And I will tell you there's a very important reason that it is stated as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because if you state it the proper order, diversity, inclusion, and equity, it spells die, and that is what we are causing to happen by having so many people receive a message that is this destructive under the guise of being hopeful and inclusive. We cannot screw the message up this badly. And so I'm grateful to this team of people for fixing that message. Now onto the main point you were trying to get me to make. <laughs> as a as a teacher as an educator, as a parent, as the brother of a crystal meth addict, I became very engaged in this subject 30 years ago. Much too late, frankly, because I watched too many young people have their dreams destroyed as a result of drugs or alcohol. And the problem we face is you'll see now the advertisements talking about we've got to be watchful of fentanyl. Well, a decade ago, it was not fentanyl, it was meth and meth offshoots that were being sold as glass cleaner and plant food in every one of those places you see that says it's a smoke shop. They're selling this stuff for five bucks to rot kids brains out and get them hooked on stuff just as this happened here. And it keeps changing. It is whack-a-mole. So it is crucially important that we let every child in this state know that they really shouldn't use fentanyl intentionally. And they need to know that most of the other stuff that's out there is now being laced with fentanyl. So when you're handed a pill at a party that looks like candy or you're handed a joint, there is some decent risk that it is also laced with fentanyl that can kill you. That's what we have to deal with here. And this is going to continue to change because it was 12 years ago now that I had to alert our state's newspaper that they were failing to cover the new series of drugs that were out on the street at five bucks a hit. They thought it was nuts and then did the research, called me back six months later. And as a politician, I'm always afraid when my phone shows that it's an Arizona Republic reporter. I'm sure it's the latest breaking news of what I've screwed up. But in fact, it was a reporter to thank me that we had started the process of covering it. But we must continue that effort because every single day somebody is trying to provide a new drug to hook a new bunch of kids because it's about 
the dollar. They're making money at lives expense for our young people. And that's what we are fighting against. And so thank you to this group of people for working on these efforts, getting the messaging to overcome the bad messages where we have reinforced the worst behaviors of our society and done so pretending we're being tolerant. If we're successful, we'll take a quick commercial break and come back and speak a little bit more about all this. If we're successful, we're not going to be here in five years having to have this conversation. But if we're not successful, we won't be talking about fentanyl. Look up the drug Jeff talked about, Trank. Look up Xylazine. You heard about it on this show first six or eight months ago in a conversation between the two of us. Right. It was in Delaware and Pennsylvania, and now it's on the West Coast. Jeff, you know, people, as they tend to think of drugs in a certain silo the way Mr. Hallman was talking about him a few moments ago. They also think of the drug problem in its own silo when it's not. We talk about issues on this show uh, every day. We talk about things like the homeless problem. We talk about things like violent crime. God knows the nation goes into a, 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 a hair on fire every time there's a school shooting. Uh, we talk about education deficits and dropouts. You want to get to any of these things, you want to be looking at this issue. You talk to county attorneys and district attorneys, and you ask them what percentage of their violent crime arrests are people who are hopped up on drugs or regular drug users. They'll tell you between 80 and 90 percent. You take a look at the homeless, chronic homeless problem that you're so expert at. We're talking about a population, 90 percent of which is a drug-using population. You talk about the dropout crisis. You talk about education deficits. We're talking children who have already got drug problems. You talk about departments of children's services and child removal and parental abuse. You're talking about 80% of those cases involve drugs. You talk about school shootings. Almost every single one of them is a child whose brain and soul have been wrecked by drugs. Talk to me a little bit about the criminal side of this and what you wanted to say about an interesting idea that kind of went awry. It, I was just thinking, and it, it, it's important to note for everyone that we educate is that the cartels are attacking this country and they have the money to buy the best chemists on the planet. And that means that it's now fentanyl. Maybe it's xylazine next week. It's going to be something else. And it is an attack. It is an absolute attack. It is a clear and present danger to the security of the United States. This is the way I view this. And I just got off the phone with a good friend of mine at Department of Child Safety. And we talked about what is coming on child removals. Try to parent a child, an infant child, when you're taking 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 fentanyl pills a day. Let's talk about addiction in kind of a, uh, from the addict's point of view. And, you know, as being an, I I call myself a former addict because I believe that, that God has the power to remove anything that I am willing to give up. Now, it took a lot of work, but I don't white knuckle it every day. My friend Steve next to me here. He doesn't white knuckle it every day because we have surrendered. And in my case, God has removed this from me. But there are upper people and there are downer people. Steve and I were upper people. You know, alcohol was not attractive to me. Um, The opiates were not real attractive to me. In that same class are Valium and uh, other benzodiazepines, Ativan, which these fentanyl pills are being sold as, those are the downer people. Upper people are crystal methamphetamine and cocaine. Well, guess what the shift is right now at the border? Talk to anybody in law enforcement and ask how much crystal methamphetamine is being interdicted, not only not at the border, but also in this country that has come across the border, is cheap, powerful methamphetamine. Last year, I talked to one of our... uh, rather more respected county sheriffs, and he said that their interdictions on crystal methamphetamine are up 500% in the last two years. So they've addicted the people that are attracted to downers. Now they're going after the people that are attracted to upwards. This is an attack. So in you know my many years at the Arizona Capitol of 
you know, working on public policy and drug policy. We thought it was a good idea to come up with a what was called the Good Samaritan Law a few years ago, and it changed policy. And what it did was gave immunity to someone who was experiencing an overdose to that person if they called, or if their friend called, then it granted immunity to that person also. So the caller and the person overdosing were granted immunity. And the idea behind this was is that people were afraid and people would, would die because they were afraid of law enforcement showing up and arresting you know, the person overdosing and the person. And, and we saw it in emergency rooms where people would just dump a body and then drive off. Well, I just got off the phone with a good prosecutor friend of mine, and she told me a heartbreaking story. And he said that this person had been given immunity was overdosing under the Good Samaritan law, and there was no interdiction at that point. It was just immunity. The person then was granted immunity a second time. A friend had called, and again, the friend was offered immunity, and the person was overdosing, and they brought the person back when the EMT showed up on both occasions. And she said, and the third time, and I just got this call, is we found him dead. So... Really, the Good Samaritan Law, as written in its current form, enabled this young person, because there was no interdictions along the way, um, to help them. It was just an immunity. Enabled him right into the grave. And that's heartbreaking. You know, part of the... um Part of the idea behind our prevention work at the stopstartshere.org, and I want people to go to that website and see what we're up to, and I'll have Steve talk about what we can do for parents as well, what we are doing for parents as well, is we want to not only get to the child before the drug dealer does, we want to prevent an ambulance having to show up. We want to prevent an ED or an emergency department or emergency room visit. A lot of people talk about, for example, the importance of dispensing Narcan at our schools and in um, even dispensaries available to the public. And I suppose it's a good idea. I don't have a particular problem with it. But if we think that that's going to solve the problem, it's the ambulance at the end of the car wreck. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And it won't affect all drugs. It won't touch xylazine or Trank, the zombie drug, the thing that eats into your skin and freezes you standing up. It won't touch that because it's not an opioid. But you know, it seems to me the project these days is an after-the-fact project. And it seems to me it's almost as if we're telling people, as my old boss Bill Bennett put it, that um, you can go play in the snake pit just as long as you take the anti-venin with you. What we're saying is put up a sign in front of that snake pit and say, don't play here. And in the meantime, kill as many of those snakes as you possibly can to make not only our children's lives less tempting to go and have problems where you will need to try and use Narcan. And what we're finding with Narcan, by the way, with repeat users, is that they're needing higher and higher doses. It's going to fail at some point. Enough with the ambulances. Let's prevent the ambulance from showing up. But Steve, parents need uh, help, too. They're pulling their hair out on this, and we aren't forgetting them either, are we? No, not at all. And in fact, they play maybe the most important role in this entire thing. And yes, we do edgy, bold content. Follow us at Hard Stop Official, you know, cost you nothing, like, share, retweet, all that fun stuff. But but we got together and when we were launching this and said, we need to provide some take-home value to parents. We get asked, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room, get asked, well, what do we do? How do we do this? Yes, we understand prevention is important, but what do we actually do? How do we have these conversations? If you go to the stopstartshere.org, we actually created a document. It, it, we literally are not charging for this or anything. We want it in the hands of as many parents around this entire country as possible. We're calling it the Parents Prevention Playbook, right? It's six steps on exactly how to start talking to your kids about prevention, right? Go to our website, find it, download it. I mean, this is important stuff. We're giving you literally step-by-step instructions on how to kick off these conversations, what to expect, what to say. And I think it's really a document that all families should have. Download it, sit down, and talk about. And I, and by the way, I'm not talking middle school. I'm talking middle. I'm, I am talking middle school. Did I say that right? You aren't talking high school. There you go. That's what I was going for. I'm talking about. Let's get to these kids at middle school because by the time they're finding out, parents are finding out about their kids using drugs. It's typically about 12 to 18 months 
later. And age of initiation is younger and younger now, too, depending on the drug. It's looking about seventh grade, right? right? So if you're thinking, hey, it's something we're going to start talking about when we go into high school, I'm not saying don't, but I am saying start thinking a little bit earlier. And I'd love to see middle school be that target where you start having these conversations with your son or daughter. So we've got several prongs here with the StopStartsHere.org or the Hard Stop campaign uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media outlets. We're uh, aiming our ads at our youth uh, and our young adults, uh, but we're also giving materials to parents and strategies for parents to help get their kid to the age of 20 to get their kid to the age of 21 so that they never do start. If they don't start before the age of 21, the problem will no, it, it, it's it's as practically a good guarantee as you can find from research that was done by Joe Califano at Columbia University and Robert L. DuPont at the Institute for Behavioral Health. You get a child to the age of 21 without initiating the use of a dangerous and illegal drug, the chances they'll ever have an addiction problem are practically zero. Mr. Hallman, you said, speaking of some statistics, you wanted to talk a little bit about them. I don't have my son Lewis here uh, currently because he's our real statistician, but I went ahead and quickly pulled down some numbers to give us some uh, examples of why, in our view, this policy debate needs to be elevated to the point at which we take it as seriously as other items that we've suffered from, and I'm using that correctly, I think, uh, in recent years. So, for example, school shootings. None of us is here promoting school shootings, but we hear about that a lot and huge policy moves to do something about it. In 2023, as of September 13th, there were 30 school shootings in which a total of 16 people were killed. That's pretty dramatic. 32 more people were injured. COVID, we heard about COVID for a long time, took extraordinary policy steps to stop COVID, or at least slow its speed. During the entire uh, time COVID has been visiting us, uh, we have had a total of, uh, for the population 50 and under, 66,843 deaths in the entirety uh, since March 1st of 2020. Of those, 2,313 of them were people under the age of 18. Seth, you're the master of the stats. I'm just going to give you the quick one from 2021. We had 45,000 deaths by cars, 48,830 deaths by guns, and we had 106,699 deaths by drug poisoning, which does not include the motor vehicle deaths that are caused by that very thing or the shooting deaths that are caused because of drugs involvement. And so we've got our priorities completely upside down, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a huge problem with drugs and drug abuse and drug poisoning in this country. And it keeps being shoved under the carpet because it's not politically acceptable. We want to say, gee, it's okay to use marijuana. The attacks we get because we are ardently saying, please, if you're 18 or under, do not even start because it is so hard to stop. And those who want to excuse their drug of choice have to recognize the unintended consequence of that is that there are many people not mature enough to hear a message like that and understand the full consequences of what can happen. So the reality is the greatest crisis we face, as you said at the opening, is drugs and drug poisoning. Let's act like that. Let's stop misprioritizing this country's policy choices and policy actions and the expenditure of funds when we have such a crisis at hand. And it starts with understanding that there is no safe use, period. You know, that's uh, that's a great way to open this up, uh, Hugh. Steve Moak Jr. was talking over the break that um, when we think about the huge numbers of lives lost due to drug poisoning deaths, what some people call drug overdoses, let me say a word about why we say it's a poisoning and not an overdose. An overdose is taking too much of something that you should be taking. Uh, there is no such thing as an overdose of fentanyl. It's a poisoning. It's a dose that kills you. It's not an overdose. It's a dose. So these are poisoning deaths. And you're quite right, Hugh. It is the number one killer of people under 50 without 
comorbid comorbidities. Bingo, Without bingo, co- bingo. Well, We're talking about healthy, otherwise healthy people right. dying from right. drug poisonings, right. where COVID at least can be explained in part because you've got obesity and diabetes and other things that have been impacting uh, that. In the instance of drugs. These tend to be otherwise what would have been healthy people. Absolutely, which is just part of the sadness of the whole thing. You were right to point out the COVID numbers because it shows you that this country knows how to put out a prevention campaign when it wants to. It was just misprioritized given the true danger. I want people to understand the nature of what Hugh was talking about. More children went to emergency departments in the three and a half years of COVID for marijuana than did for COVID. Let me give you the Arizona, just the Arizona numbers, just to give you a little sense of the local nature of this. In three years of COVID in Arizona, we lost 83 people under the age of 20. All three years, 83 lives were lost under the age of 20. But we lost just 192 of them last year due to drug overdoses. Understand, in Arizona, we're losing 130% more youth to drug to drug deaths in one year. We are losing 130% more youth to drug deaths in one year than in all three years of COVID. You tell me we have our priorities straight. We don't. The government should be doing something about that. Drug prevention messaging should be the job of the government. They're not. We at the stopstartsheer.org are. We're asking you to help us out and get this message out. Mr. Moak. Well, I'll tell you, it's college football season right now, right? Is everybody paying a little bit of attention? Think of the University of Michigan Stadium or Ohio State, the Horseshoe. They hold about 100-plus thousand people. We are losing a stadium, a sold-out stadium's worth of souls, lives, real people every single year to this. One of the other things, and we put together a piece of content on social media, imagine that there were two Southwest Air Jets colliding over your state every single day. That's the number of people that we're losing every single day. Do it again. Right, I mean that is Again, that is Southwest would prefer you use someone. You can use airline. American crashing into a Southwest. Okay, there you go. But that is Qantas. The, Qantas. The, <laughs> Qantas never <laughs> crashes. Let's blame it. Let's blame it on the Australians. But think about that. Think about the the impact if you thought about it that way. What it would really feel like instead of these numbers that get so big that you can't wrap your brain around. That's really what I want to get out there. And that's He's right. Say it again. We've got two aircraft liners filled with human beings smashing in the air worth of people who are dying every day from every these day. drugs. And and get this, if that happened, how many people would be flying? Right. That's that right. would be a deterrent. That's that right. And what would the FAA be doing so, so as what well, we too? Have, I mean, the- so what we have is an ethos in this country from places calling themselves public health departments saying, we know that, get on that plane with a friend. That's what they're saying with these advertisements. That's what they're saying with these billboards. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, start small and do it with a friend, and you will have a happy life because you're right. Those advertising billboards in the major cities like Washington and New York and San Francisco, they're young kids that you want to look like. Look, we are running in the face of that. We are pushing as hard against this culture as is pushing against us because no one else is doing it. Check us out at the stopstartshere.org. A week and a day ago, we commemorated 9-11. A week and a day ago, we commemorated 9-11, where we lost nearly 3,000 souls. We're doing a week, uh, uh, excuse me, we're losing every week, every week to drug deaths, what we lost on one day in 9-11 when you add car accidents due to drug-infused drivers. We're we're doing a 9-11 a week. And the connection is that we responded to the terrorists who caused that very clearly. And as Jeff made the point earlier, in the last segment, this or several segments ago, this is a terrorist operation. We've got people from abroad who are making big piles of money, attracting children to these horrible things. That is domestic terrorism at its worst, because it's not just the happenstance of being in New York at the wrong moment or the Pentagon or on a plane that crashed in a field in Pennsylvania due to some heroes interaction. It is the worst kind of people who are terrorizing our society, making money off of our children, destroying their lives, and we have that many people dying every week. Respond accordingly. Well done. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. I was just thinking about the, uh, the funding that we do. Mm-hmm. So from a taxpayer point of view, 
we are funding the wreckage mm-hmm. of addiction. Mm-hmm. We're not funding any prevention. We're funding the wreckage of addiction. Let's just talk about some, some major points. Uh, Arizona Department of Corrections. You know, I'm, I hear all the time, oh, they're nonviolent drug offenders. Many, many are violent. They have become violent on especially crystal methamphetamine, which is coming. Very violent drug. It's also a huge motivator to steal. Try to leave your garage door open, you know, one night and see what happens the next morning. You probably, depending on the neighborhood, either 100% chance of everything being cleaned out uh, to maybe a 50% chance in in some other neighborhoods. Uh, Department of Child Safety, you know, child removal, foster care. I think a foster child, I'm not sure what the current reimbursement for an out-of-home foster child is, but that is a monthly payment of around, I think, $800 until that child reaches 18. An Arizona Department of Corrections prison bed is $24,500 a year. And let's say you get a 10-year sentence. That's $250,000 that we have spent because someone is a quote-unquote nonviolent drug offender. Guess what? Nonviolent drug offenders, even if they are nonviolent, maybe they didn't caught for their violence, they get behind the wheel every day of a 4,000-pound vehicle going down the road. Look at our insurance costs. I have a, a theory about wrong-way drivers. If you look at wrong-way drivers, which did not exist before pharmaceutical marijuana hit this state, it was extremely rare. And I'm not saying it's just marijuana. I'm saying it's marijuana with a beer, marijuana with a pill. When you're dealing with a potency that has skyrocketed, then it causes confusion. And that's, in my theory, is that why our, if you look at a graph of the potency of marijuana in this state when it was being produced for pharmacological and now recreational uses, that's, you, you could overlay that graph with THC content over wrong-way drivers, and they kind of follow each other. I don't believe in coincidence on this. And then people ask, why do I get into this? You know, why am I so heavily invested? Well, it all started when I ran a nursery for the Salvation Army back in the 90s. It was 1996 until 2000. And it was the first nursery of its type. It was for children from birth until school age, which would be birth to five years old. And it was specifically for children of homeless and drug-addicted parents. And I saw, again, the wreckage of addiction because most of the parents were drug-addicted and the wreckage that occurred in those children. And, and that's one of the major – and these children were coming in severely damaged, living in cars in the summertime, completely shut down. They wouldn't sleep. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't sleep because guess what? The parents would disappear while they were, they were afraid to sleep. So I love these children. I love your audience's children, and I don't even know them. When it's hitting our most vulnerable children, what was the first um, incidence of drug use now? Average? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade, we were trying to figure out how to build a ramp outside. I mean, it was was pretty dangerous. We didn't have bike helmets, and we were making a ramp out of a piece of plywood with nails coming up, you know, through the (laughs) – and we're jumping our bikes. Over garbage cans, I trust. Over garbage cans. And, and of course, you had to have the cinder blocks, you know, on underneath the ramp. So I just look at that picture, and then I look at the picture of a seventh grader now, and it's, it's hard. I mean, it just it, – it keeps me up at night. It makes me extremely sad. And I'm kind of in that melancholy mood today because of that call from the prosecutor where we really passed a law that gave immunity to a drug user with no consequences or interdictions along the way, and today he's dead. Yeah, we're just we're on a path right now of watching him die. We're on a path in this room with our organization, the StopStartsHere.org, and having an insurance policy against them ever starting and becoming one of those statistics. Mr. Moak, you have to leave in a few minutes. Any last words you want to say? Uh, I do. Again, this this is this may be the most important thing that I ever get involved with in my life, right? I mean, we need to get this message. We need to saturate the market. 
prevention works. It takes people like us and people in this room and your listeners and their family and friends to get behind this. Follow us at Hard Stop Official on all the social channels. We are the fastest growing nonprofit. I'm sorry, in the country, and I'm going to stand by that. You can drug prevention, uh, our drug prevention, yeah. absolutely. From our Facebook to our Instagram, it is important what we're doing. It's resonating with what we're doing, but we need more people out there liking and sharing our content to really help spread the message of prevention, youth drug abuse prevention across this country. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. Thanks. We do talk about the deaths an awful lot, and I think you all have been right to say that is not the only consequence of using dangerous and illegal drugs. Um, We have used a lot of different metaphors and analogies to try and explain the kinds of deaths we're talking about. When we talk about 110,000 Americans dying from drug poisonings every year, you talked about the football stadiums. We talked about two commercial airliners crashing over our skies every single day day. We used to have one commercial airline crashing over our sky every single day compared to drug deaths five to six years ago. Our goal is to get it back to one and then to zero or as close to zero as we possibly can because we've done it before. We have done it before. I want people to understand anyone who's um, been to Washington, D.C. and gone to the Vietnam Memorial, that scar of a wall of 58,000 souls on it, took 16 years to get those 58,000 names. We could be be building two Vietnam memorial walls a year with the deaths we're doing right now. So stop uh, the stopstartshere.org. Help us get this message out. Help us get to your children before the drug dealer does. And help us um, get the Parents Prevention Playbook around as well. We also have a lot of other recommendations. We want, yes, Mr. Taylor, sir. Before Steve leaves, I I wanted to bring up another line. It just came to my mind. All of us here, this will get worse before it gets better. Yep. A, it doesn't have to. Right. But when somebody tells me about how this is going to get worse before it gets better, I say we're in the business of better. Good. We're in the business well of said. better. Jeff, talk to me a little bit about uh, your family and how it's not only affected your family, but how it's come full circle. Well, I think the most important job that I have today is to be a good parent and not to be a friend, but to be a good parent. My son now is 23 years old, but when he was 13 years old, actually 12, I started drug testing him. We're going to talk a little bit about prevention and how it really worked in my life. I talked to him about drugs. I talked to him about the the damage and the devastation and the wreckage that occurred in my wake of from my drug abuse. And he was listening. And then I gave him an out because of peer pressure in middle schools and high schools. It's tremendous. And we all know there's all sorts of peer pressure. But there's peer pressure to use drugs and substances all the time for these young people. So I said, you know, I'm going to give you an out, and that is I don't think you're using drugs. I am drug testing you because then when you are approached and you are experiencing peer pressure, you can say, my dad drug tests me all the time. And when I say all the time, he didn't walk in the house. So when we come in the house, we go through the uh, garage, through the laundry room, and then to his room, and then there's a bathroom. And I had drug testing kits stacked up in the laundry room, and he would just grab one every time. You know, he'd come in and go. He didn't even know that there was a toilet in the, because he was always <laughs> peeing into this cup. But that's what it takes is that – and he used that. And he – it was really interesting. One of his peers came to him later and said, I wish that my parents cared enough to drug test me. And I told my son, I love you enough to drug test you. And there will be consequences. Our good friend, uh, you know, county attorney Mm -hmm. and now Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery, I told my son that if you show up positive for any illegal substances and you're underage, I am marching you down to Bill Montgomery's office and he will charge you with internal possession and I will not bail you out. (laughs) That is parenting. You know, and that's that's delivering a consequence. Sometimes that's what it takes is a strong message. And that's what our website is about is direct strong messages about the reality of the wreckage that can occur in not only your young person's life, but as that person grows up into their children's lives. You know, one of the most meaningful days I've spent this year 
was an afternoon with you and your son about a month ago. Mm-hmm. You were someone who knew the criminal justice system from the inside and the outside. Yes. And we got to watch your son graduate from the city of Phoenix Police Academy. And he's now a police officer here in Phoenix, Arizona. One of the one of the proudest moments of my life as I have let him know, and he's been to you know many presentations or speeches that I've given on the importance of law enforcement. I am here because law enforcement saved my life. I call it the Criminal Justice Intervention Program. And it is something that needs to be strengthened and bolstered up, not only in our community, but in other communities. And that couldn't be a pathway to help like it was for me. And then, Seth, do you remember at the graduation? Yeah, I do. The chief is there, and then we have one of the assistant chiefs, and then um, the uh, oh, city councilwoman, city councilwoman right. uh, O'Brien, right. who goes to every one of the police department's yeah. con- graduations. Huge supporter of our police department. And so they said something about <laughs> the individual. Yeah, Do you want to take it from well, well, what they did was it was a beautiful thing, and you've seen this in smaller uh, venues or graduations. But they said something about the family, the families of everyone on stage. And he said, and we have a – uh, we have we uh, have a graduate whose dad wh- whose dad has been arrested by the Phoenix Police Department five times, and so you, you stood up and shouted. Uh, actually, it was six times. <laughs> <laughs> tools, tools. The drug test is a crucial one. Yes, anything you can do to give your child an out when the peer pressure comes. If a child can say, "I can't," because I get drug tested. And if I get drug tested, I'll lose privileges. I'll be punished. I won't be able to play sports. I won't be able to go to this activity. It's a great way to help that kid. And kids need all the help they can get. Like we're trying to replicate with modern updated advertising messaging and in the modern media what the This Is Your Brain on Drugs campaign did. Along with a culture that took this issue seriously, we reduced drug poisoning deaths by over 60%. We let up on it. It's time we start doing it again, and we are. Drug prevention, like any other prevention, works every single time it's tried. Ask Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Ask uh, the cigarette. Uh, ask anyone who used to uh, who who watches a TV show from the '60s or '70s. Ask with, Joe Camel. Yeah, with cigarette smoking. Ask Joe Camel. We reduce cigarette smoking with prevention messaging by fifty percent in this country. We did drugs by sixty percent. Forest fires. Every time it works. And in letting up on it, we have now. Observed and blithely watched as drug poisonings became the number one killer of young adults in this country. It's not COVID. We turned this country upside down for COVID. We closed schools. We closed churches and synagogues. We closed outdoor gatherings for COVID. Beaches. The city of Phoenix. Beaches. It was incredible, and we're not arguing for that, but what we're simply saying is that when this country gets serious about a prevention message, it knows how to do it. Let me put the numbers on Arizona again to give you a sense of what drugs are doing to this country and this state. In three years of COVID in Arizona, we lost 83 lives under the age of 20, all, by the way, with comorbidities, 83 over three years under the age of 20. But we lost 192 of our youths just to opioids under the age of 20 last year. We're losing 130% more youth in Arizona to drug deaths in one year than all three years of COVID. No one's doing that prevention messaging, and we are. Help us do it at thestopstartshere.org. Mr. Holman. Don't forget this is a hard thing to be doing. We are trying to turn a battleship of culture that has gotten used to the uh, direction it's sailing with the idea that we want to be tolerant of different perspectives and different lifestyles, even if that lifestyle is self-destructive. Especially with drugs, it tends to be quite self-destructive, but it is not just destructive of that self. It's destructive of all the families and friends, and it calls on resources from our society that are extraordinary. Uh, Jeff mentioned the fact that uh, his son graduated from the police academy and has joined our folks in blue to help protect us. Every time something horrible happens with a police officer, it's headline news and it's repeated consistently and continuously. When almost every day 
Every police officer is performing miracles on the street to help improve our society and help those people out on the street who are addicted to drugs. They have been given a a, a job to now act as social workers when we have created this by enabling the behavior and now not just denying that it happens, but saying that it's happening is okay. And worse now, mandating that it happens because we have government officials handing out drug paraphernalia to make this lifestyle possible and cheaper. It's nuts. With that said, every single family who's got someone listening to this show has this problem. I'm making a blanket statement, but I can be pretty sure I'm right. The number of people out in our societies who are suffering from drug addiction, alcohol addiction is huge. As Seth started our discussion, we now have broken the record on the percentage of our population using dangerous, illegal drugs on a daily basis. It's a huge number. We're now above We're almost at 15% of our population. Every one of those people is a child of some parent. Every one of those people likely has siblings. Every one of those people has others around them that they're influenced by and influencing and whose lives they're affecting. You are not alone. Everyone who has talked to you from these studio seats on these microphones today is an individual or a family member of somebody who did suffer from drug addiction in a terrible way. In my case, I had a younger brother who was a crystal meth addict for 15 years. His daughter became addicted to drugs, and as a result of that addiction, got drawn into sex trafficking. She was 15 years old when that happened. She was trafficked for two years, eventually let out. That is to say, she was captured by the police. She would not testify against her pimp, but put into juvenile detention. On her 18th birthday, she was let out. She went right back to her pimp, and nine months later, shot herself to death. That's the kind of story that is the end of what happens when you start and why we are so passionate about trying to stop people from starting in the first place. Let's get our kids to age 21 before ever introducing them to drugs and alcohol. Because if you make that mark, they have a huge high probability. It's something like 90 percent. Almost never starting. Of never starting down these roads. These are terrible roads to go down. And I'm reminded on a daily basis, Seth knows my tortoise, Nan. That tortoise is now 27 years old. My youngest son, who's now 27, received that tortoise when he was seven from a young kid who he went to grade school with. Nan lives in our backyard. And I think about the child who gave that tortoise to my youngest son on a daily basis because that child at age 18 died of a heroin poisoning. One dose. His parents are devastated. That's the kind of story that should motivate all of us, that we should not have those end games for our young people. And it's not just that one child. It's many, many children whose funerals I've attended who had one dose of an illegal drug that ended their life. We can stop this. And the way we stop it is by keeping kids ever from starting. Help us, because this problem is very difficult to go against. Changing culture is difficult. Seth talked to you about the fact that we had the high watermark previously in 1979 and turned the course around. But does everybody of my age remember the fact that Nancy Reagan was belittled in the early 1980s for pushing hard to stop drug addiction and drug abuse? Just say no to drugs? And she was belittled for that by the left, for the cool people who said how cute, how quaint, and intolerant. Damn right. I am absolutely intolerant of the messaging from the state of California, the state of New York, saying that they are from health departments stamping the imprimatur of the government on the safe, unquote, quote, unquote, safe use of drugs. There is no such thing. And we together must stop that messaging and put back in place the messaging. Don't start because this stuff kills. It doesn't discriminate among zip codes. It doesn't discriminate against area codes. And it's not a partisan issue. This is an issue that faces all of us. And we ask you to give us a hand in getting the message out because we can do it. We've done it before. The theoretical has been proven by the actual. We do it with every other prevention campaign. This one deserves it too. 
go to thestopstartshere.org, take a look at what we have, and help us out any way you can. Jeff Taylor, Hugh Hallman, Steve Moak, who had to leave us a little while ago, thank you very much, as well as our other two partners who couldn't be with us today. Couldn't do it without any of you, and we can't do it without the rest of you in this audience either. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.